Section 29 of the Underground Railroad Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. The Underground Railroad Part 1 by William Still. Section 29. Robert Brown, Anthony Loney, and Cornelius Scott. Samuel Williams. Robert Brown, alias Thomas Jones, crossing the river on horseback in the night. In very desperate straits many new inventions were sought after by deep-thinking and resolute slaves, determined to be free at any cost. But it must here be admitted that, in looking carefully over the more perilous methods resorted to, Robert Brown, alias Thomas Jones, stands second to none with regard to deeds of bold daring. This hero escaped from Martinsburg, Virginia, in 1856. He was a man of medium size, mulatto, about 38 years of age, could read and write, and was naturally sharp-witted. He had formerly been owned by Colonel John F. Franey, whom Robert charged with various offenses of a serious domestic character. Furthermore, he also alleged that his mistress was cruel to all the slaves, declaring that they, the slaves, could not live with her that she had to hire servants, etc. In order to effect his escape, Robert was obliged to swim the Potomac River on horseback on Christmas night while the cold wind, storm, and darkness were indescribably dismal. This daring bondman, rather than submit to his oppressor any longer, periled his life as above stated. Where he crossed the river was about a half-mile wide. Where could be found in history a more noble and daring struggle for freedom? The wife of his bosom and his four children, only five days before he fled, were sold to a trader in Richmond, Virginia, for no other offense than simply because she had resisted the lustful designs of her master, being true to her own companion. After this poor slave mother and her children were cast into prison for sale, the husband and some of his friends tried hard to find a purchaser in the neighborhood but the malicious and brutal master refused to sell her, wishing to gratify his malice to the utmost, and to punish his victims all that lay in his power. He sent them to the place above named. In this trying hour, the severed and bleeding heart of the husband resolved to escape at all hazards, taking with him a daguerreotype likeness of his wife, which he happened to have on hand, and a lock of hair from her head, and from each of the children, as mementos of his unbounded, though sundered, affection for them. After crossing the river, his wet clothing freezing to him, he rode all night, a distance of about forty miles. In the morning he left his faithful horse tied to a fence, quite broken down. He then commenced his dreary journey on foot, cold and hungry, in a strange place, where it was quite unsafe to make known his condition and wants. Thus, for a day or two, without food or shelter, he traveled until his feet were literally worn out, and in this condition he arrived at Harrisburg, where he found friends. Passing over many of the interesting incidents on the road, suffice it to say, he arrived safely in this city on New Year's night, 1857, about two hours before daybreak, the telegraph having announced his coming from Harrisburg, having been a week on the way. The night he arrived was very cold. Besides, the underground train that morning was about three hours behind time. In waiting for it, entirely out in the cold, a member of the Vigilance Committee thought he was frosted, but when he came to listen to the story of the fugitive's sufferings, his mind changed. 
Scarcely had Robert entered the house of one of the committee, where he was kindly received, when he took from his pocket his wife's likeness, speaking very touchingly while gazing upon it and showing it. Subsequently, in speaking of his family, he showed the locks of hair referred to, which he had carefully rolled up in paper separately. Unrolling them, he said, This is my wife's. This is from my oldest daughter, eleven years old. And this is from my next oldest, and this from the next. And this from my infant, only eight weeks old. These mementos he cherished with the utmost care as the last remains of his affectionate family. At the sight of these locks of hair so tenderly preserved, the members of the committee could fully appreciate the resolution of the fugitive in plunging into the Potomac on the back of a dumb beast in order to flee from a place and people who had made such barbarous havoc in his household. His wife, as represented by the likeness, was of fair complexion, prepossessing, and good-looking, perhaps not over thirty-three years of age. Anthony Loney, alias William Armstead Anthony had been serving under the yoke of Warring Talbert of Richmond, Virginia. Anthony was of a rich black complexion, medium size, about twenty-five years of age. He was intelligent, and a member of the Baptist Church. His master was a member of the Presbyterian Church, and held family prayers with the servants. But Anthony believed seriously that his master was no more than a whitened sepulchre, one who was fond of saying, Lord, Lord, but did not do what the Lord bade him. Consequently, Anthony felt that before the great judge his master's many prayers would not benefit him, as long as he continued to hold his fellow men in bondage. He left a father, Samuel Loney, and mother, Rebecca, also one sister and four brothers. His old father had bought himself and was free. Likewise his mother, being very old, had been allowed to go free. Anthony escaped in May 1857. Cornelius Scott Cornelius took passage per the Underground Railroad in March 1857, from the neighborhood of Salvington, Stafford County, Virginia. He stated that he had been claimed by Henry L. Brooke, whom he declared to be a hard drinker and a hard swearer. Cornelius had been very much bleached by the patriarchal institution, and he was shrewd enough to take advantage of this circumstance. In regions of country where men were less critical and less experienced than Southerners as to how the bleaching process was brought about, Cornelius Scott would have had no difficulty whatever in passing for a white man of the most improved Anglo-Saxon type. Although a young man only twenty-three years of age and quite stout, his fair complexion was decidedly against him. He concluded that for this very reason he would not have been valued at more than five hundred dollars in the market. He left his mother, Ann Stubbs, and half-brother, Isaiah, and traveled as a white man. Samuel Williams, alias John Williams This candidate for Canada had the good fortune to escape the clutches of his mistress, Mrs. Elvina Duncans, widow of the late Reverend James Duncans, who lived near Cumberland, Maryland. He had very serious complaints to allege against his mistress, who was a member of the Presbyterian Church. To use his own language, the servants in the house were treated worse than dogs. John was thirty-two years of age, dark chestnut color, well-made, prepossessing in appearance, and he fled to keep from being sold. With the Underground Railroad, he was highly delighted. Nor was he less pleased with the thought that he had caused his mistress, who was one of the worst women who ever lived, to lose twelve hundred dollars by him. He escaped in March 1857. 
He did not admit that he loved slavery any the better for the reason that his master was a preacher, or that his mistress was the wife of a preacher. Although a common farmhand, Samuel had common sense, and for a long time previous had been watching closely the conduct of his mistress, and at the same time had been laying his plans for escape on the Underground Railroad, the first chance. One hundred dollars reward. My Negro man Richard has been missing since Sunday night, March 22nd. I will give one hundred dollars to any one who will secure him or deliver him to me. Richard is thirty years old, but looks older, very short legs, dark but rather bright color, broad cheekbones, a respectful and serious manner, generally looks away when spoken to, small mustache and beard, but he may have them off. He is a remarkably intelligent man, and can turn his hand to anything. He took with him a bag made of Brussels carpet, with my name written in large, rough letters on the bottom, and a good stock of coarse and fine clothes, among them a navy cap and a low-crowned hat. He has been seen about New Kent, C.H., and on the Pumunkey River, and is no doubt trying to get off in some vessel bound north. April 18, 1857, J.W. Randolph, Richmond, Virginia. Even at this late date, it may perhaps afford Mr. R. a degree of satisfaction to know what became of Richard. But if this should not be the case, Richard's children, or mother, or father, if they are living, may possibly see these pages, and thereby be made glad of learning of Richard's wisdom as a traveler in the terrible days of slave-hunting. Consequently, here is what was recorded of him, April 3, 1857, at the Underground Railroad Station, just before a free ticket was tendered him for Canada. Richard is thirty-three years of age, small of stature, dark color, smart and resolute. He was owned by Captain Tucker of the United States Navy, from whom he fled. He was tired of serving and wanted to marry, was the cause of his escape. He had no complaint of bad treatment to make against his owner. Indeed, he said that he had been used well all his life. Nevertheless, Richard felt that this underground railroad was the greatest road he ever saw. When the war broke out, Richard girded on his knapsack and went to help Uncle Sam humble Richmond and break the yoke. End of section 29. Recording by Lee Smalley.